Fearscape Media Network, exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time. Support for Fearscape Paranormal Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I used to use a regular beard trimmer uh, for uh, taking care of business down below. Oh, dude, I just gave up on it. I just <laughs> gave up on it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, after you uh, nick yourself a couple of times and, uh, you know, I'm really sensitive about that area because I really don't know what's going to happen if I cut into something that is a pump full of blood. You know what I'm saying? Well, dude, I'm super excited that we were some of the first people to get to try the lawnmower 4.0. In fact, Josh, I'm using it right now. Oh, why'd you have to leave the video on? Come on, yeah. dude. Ah, smooth as eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, man, I love this. I have really, really sensitive skin. So getting to have advanced skin safe technology on this thing, I now feel confidence shaving not only my face, but below the waist. Right. And now you don't even have to bust out your cell phone flashlight because it has a light on the front of it to hit those dark areas makes all the difference in the world. So I'm just telling you guys right now, our listeners, if you guys are shaving your face and body with the same trimmer, you are doing it wrong. So if you want to pick up your own lawnmower 4.0 trimmer or any of the other great products that are offered by Manscaped, like these amazing boxer briefs that they sent us. So comfortable. Uh, head on over to manscaped.com and use promo code Fearscape and get 20% off and free shipping. Again, 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com promo code fearscape unlock your confidence now smooth as eggs thank you for tuning in to fearscape paranormal podcast we are on a journey to understand and to discover the phenomena that seems to exist all around the globe we invite you to join us on this journey into the unknown. Ladies and gentlemen, to another fantastic episode of, of, of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. In the morning, uh, this is your host, Stephen <laughs> Gearhart. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in, of course. Uh, this is Stefan, like I said, and I'm joined as always by the most gracious. And I, you know what, Josh? You have the most beautiful soul I've ever had the experience to waft past in my entire life my co-host mr josh rutledge round of applause why thank you i you're and welcome. i appreciate that applause that you just gave me you're welcome um, it was just me i'm not gonna add applause in you're not gonna add applause in there no so, I, mean, um, I, I want everyone to know that it just comes from me um just, and i yeah. apologize for the uh, radio morning show intro there but <laughs> i am hype We're, on dr pepper yeah. cherry right now <laughs> we're uh yeah we're, we're we're riding the buzz here so yeah i mean i'm feeling great yeah happy to be here happy i'm just so gosh darn happy to be here um the, but we have a really 
awesome show. Uh, we have yet another uh, fantastic writer from the debrief. Uh, Mr. Chris Plain <laughs> has uh, is going to be joining us. We're going to be getting spooky with Chris Plain, and I will tell you guys, you guys are in for a treat. Uh, Chris is not only does he have science writing experience, but fiction writing as well as comedy writing, and we have a blast talking yep. about all the kinds of cool stuff that we normally talk about here on Fearscape. What? What, what was that skit? It was on SNL. It was like the bears. Da bears, yeah, it's the the that's those guys, yeah. Da bears, yeah. doubles, da yeah. Da brief, da brief. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, so yeah, he did correct us. It's not the debrief, but yeah. the debrief. Um, but Josh and I say it depends where in the country you're at, um, or the world, as you'll know the world. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So we've got Chris Plain coming on uh, at, over at. The, uh, the debrief uh, does uh, some amazing science articles. You guys have seen us share the Star Trek article um, about the seven technologies that are on their way uh, from Star Trek. So this is just going to be a fasc- fascinating getting spooky. Um, but uh, I do want to, before we move into our segments, just a quick reminder to uh, make sure you guys are out there liking, sharing, rating, and reviewing the show. This is the best way that you can support us. Uh, it really helps us just, uh, you know, get people to notice us and that and that's what we're looking for as always uh, you can also support us by joining our patreon uh, join the blanket huggers be a blanket hugger be be an awesome blanket hugger and uh, join our patreon with a monthly contribution which again helps us uh, provide great content for the show um, and uh, allows us to travel and get guests and do all the wonderful things that yep. we're able to do um, because of people like you that's not like PBS but it is no, yeah, uh, but you can go bit. to fearscapepodcast.com slash support or patreon.com slash fearscape pod and uh become a monthly contributor you can even donate a dollar a month i mean even that dollar helps i mean it's all it's all fantastic and all that good stuff um so uh you one of the other ways that you can um support us is by going to our networks page fearscapemedia.com checking out all the other great podcasts that we have out there um like misters of the dark and wishful uh, drinking and binge thinking one of my favorite shows um, all kinds of great shows on there fearscapemedia.com uh, and you know both of our websites there you can check out our, our Redbubble store and, and get all kinds of cool stuff so I'm going to stop talking and move because Josh we need to get into our segments man segments segments the first segment of the week is psychic word of the week and now the psychic So, of course, Psychic Word of the Week comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary by the late June G. Bletzer, Ph.D. Rest in peace, honey bear. I love you. Love you so much. You have no idea. I've I've created this space in my heart that exists just for you, and I feel like you live there. You have a little house, and you've got house shoes that you wear when you're in there, <laughs> and you take up space in my heart. But I love you because I love this encyclopedia. Um, but I, as usual, we flip through the pages and just uh, see what phrase kind of steps out um, the book to us. Uh, so this time I flipped through the pages, landed on 465, um, and in fact I. And I always kind of put a little asterisk by words we've used. I've flipped here apparently twice before because we've got two phrases we've used before. Um, But the one that uh, grabbed my attention this time was phantom voice. 
phantom voice. This is okay. different from Angel of Music. <laughs> so not the Phantom of the Opera's voice, but Phantom voice. So the definitions here looks like there's two of them. First one says it is a word or name perceived Claire audiently from an apparition of a dead person when showing her or himself clairvoyantly. Infrequently, the discarnate person is capable of impressing the mind of the psychic with sound, which is heard by the psychic only. Number two, a sound or name perceived clairaudiently of a soul mind going through a traumatic accident or the death process and identifying her or himself by sound as opposed to a vision in both cases. It is mental psychism accomplished by the emotional energy of the deceased person. Okay. So, I mean, it basically, phantom voice... She's, she uses Claire audience quite a bit in there, but that's essentially yep. what a phantom voice is, is you're hearing the ghost of a phantom, I mean, the voice of a phantom, so to right. speak. Right. Um, but I think this really voice. speaks more along the lines of a spirit, right? Not, you know, whereas Claire audience, you could pick up the voice of a god or of an element or um, some sort of deity or, or things like that. Whereas this, I think, is specifically speaking about someone who's passed spirit. away. Yep, yep. Which, I mean, yeah, I don't know. For me, it's a blurred line of, you know, is that different from those other things that you mentioned? Um, it just depends. Yeah, just depends. Yeah. According to Junji Blitzer, it is. Right. Um, and she really specifically spoke of, and we've come across this a couple times, where someone is uh, passing away or in a really bad accident. There's so much energy uh, that is there that they're able to project themselves. I think that was one of the words we went over. They, they project themselves to show that they're in another place, whereas this is just their voices going out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you see stories or, or movies or things that hear that's like all of a sudden it's help. I You hear the help, but right. they're 100 miles away because something happened. Maybe they were in right. a car accident or something along those lines. So I think so Phantom Voice kind of fits along those lines. It's almost like in that in that last moment, they're psychically reaching out for. Yeah, because it connection. didn't it didn't feel like a conversation. So it no. didn't feel like you were able to interact with this voice as much as it's just there to be heard. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I think that's where some of the difference lies as well. Yep. So, but yeah, that's our, our phantom voice out of the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary. So that's a good one. So let's go ahead and move. Give me that mic. We are moving on to Cryptid of the Week. I am the Jersey Devil. Get ready to meet my friend. Hi, y'all. It's the Jersey Devil. Hope y'all are ready to meet some of my friends. Cryptid of the Week. Okay, okay. Thank you, JD. This is uh, this is Cryptid of the Week. Um, we are meeting one of your friends. I know, thank you. And um, I will tell you that who we're going to be talking about this week, they freak me out. I wouldn't necessarily call them friends, but they do show up at conventions. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this week, uh, the Jersey Devil asked me to talk about the uh, cryptids known as the Black Stick Men. Not to be confused with the Matchstick Men, yeah, which is a thinking. Nick Cage movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the Mirage Men. I like Matchstick Man. Yeah. 
we, we got you. Yep, we like it too. Um, but here is the Blackstick Men. Uh, this they are a relatively recent phenomenon. Uh, people across the globe have been sighting these two-dimensional, like pitch black beings. They appear to be two-dimensional, and their appearance always looks like the same, no matter what angle they are seen at. Their heights range from that of a normal human being to an abnormal several feet tall. Uh, they reportedly make no sound and cast no shadow. Uh, that's because essentially they are a damn shadow. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. You do not know these guys fight us at the conventions all the time. All the time. I mean, it sounds to me, JD, that this is essentially who Peter Pan was fighting in the Peter Pan book. I mean, essentially. Okay. Okay. All right. So, okay. Yep, thank you. Um, but yeah, uh, let's see here. Uh, witnesses also claim that these figures are often charged with some sort of electricity, uh, the most often reported being static electricity. Witnesses often claim that while encountering these beings, they feel a strange urge of aggression or agitation. And it could be said that these beings exert some form of negative energy. Uh, they are unlike ghosts in that they are not linked with any particular paranormal incident or location, nor lore. They simply appear, and they have been appearing more and more recently for people. Uh, and I was actually going to say this. They remind me of the shadow people, but it says these are not to be confused with shadow people, though they may be related. There has yet to be a recorded case of a black stick man to attack a person, and they have yet to communicate in any way, not even making a sound and they should also not be confused with the slender man which i didn't think so um so in terms of sightings it says here during an expedition cryptozoologist mark wolfgang miller went looking for the black stick man near the small town of buford wyoming and their results were astonishing they came within six feet of the black stick man it was unbelievably tall and thin as a twig i don't know uh, I didn't know I was looking at it until it moved in a non-tree-like manner. It had to be at least 12 feet tall. The cryptozoologist snapped a photo, but to no avail. The photo didn't uh, show clearly the creature due to the trees in the background. So um, I've heard of this before. You really have? I, I've never yes. heard of it before. I told I told you about the black stick man once before, but you were sleeping. Well, JD, so, I'm not going to be able to hear you if I'm sleeping. No, so this is actually mentioned in The Art of Dreaming. Oh, the Carlos Castaneda book? Yep. Interesting. He, uh, so then maybe I must have heard of that then because I've read that book before. So there's a, there's a part where he is first exploring his dreams and his mentor, Don Juan, is telling him about these beings that will choose to interact with him in his dreams. And he goes on like a vision quest with Don Juan out in the desert and he encounters two of the beings and they are described exactly the way that you just described them. Carlos Castaneda is able to tackle one of them and when he does, he's like shocked with this intense energy and then from that point forward, he starts, he like earns their respect and they start guiding him in his dreams. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, there are a number of theories, too, that these are ancient aliens or extra dimensional travelers or even those that are sitting right on the other side of the veil, um, so to speak. Uh, 
you know, so that's kind of interesting. And there are some reports now. Now, I know that what I just read said that there really hasn't been any reports of uh, being attacked. However, there are some folks that believe that they have had feelings of aggression or agitation from the encounter and believe that uh, they emit some sort of negative energy and that they may feed on that energy kind of like an astral vampire so, or an energy vampire. So again, this is talked about in The Art of Dreaming. Um, uh, the Don Juan individual talks about how these beings will, if you're not careful, uh, latch on to you and follow you back from the dreaming world into the real world mm -hmm. and then drain you of your energy. Interesting. And and there are, you know, even though this is a recent phenomenon, there are ancient sightings and things like that. There's a number of old cave drawings that, that showcase these slender black figures, um, usually off in the distance, off in the cut, um, that do kind of fit along some of these stories uh, and things like that. So it's just, it's very, very interesting, man. Like, uh, yeah. and how funny that, yeah, I didn't even realize that I had heard of this before. I just never knew of them as black stick men. But what I find the most fascinating is the two-dimensional quality uh, yep. is what's well, because they because they exist in a five-dimensional space, again, mm -hmm. according to the art of dreaming. And so in order for them to exist in our space, they can only exist in our space in two-dimensional form. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating because, you know, Santosh and I have had many theories on dreaming over the years. Um, and, uh, you know, especially when you lucid dream, you can find that your dream characters react oddly, right, to you being able to figure things out. Uh, one of the most fascinating stories to me was Santosh had a dream and he was lucid dreaming. And uh, he went up to, I believe, his grandmother in his dream. And he was like, look, I know who you are. I know you're not really my grandmother. And they started going like just insane, crazy on Santosh and yelling at him and going cra like, you know, like, oh, you figured things I just. And every time that uh, that we've always postulated is like, if you're lucid dreaming, question them and see how they react. And and yeah. we it feels like every time it's going to be this negative, crazy uh, event. You know, and so, what if they are the black stick men in there, right? Yeah. Like, especially if it's connected to dreaming, like, like Castanada yeah. said. I don't yeah. know. I don't dream much anymore. I just write things down and read it and pretend. Well, that's spectacular. <laughs> that's, for you. that's really nice. That is really sweet. Do you write yourself a little love note? Every night I say, I love you, Jersey Devil. You is smart. You is beautiful. And you have the most beautiful hoofs anybody's ever had, ever. Good night. I love you. I'll see you in the morning. That is absolutely sweet, sir. That yep. is absolutely sweet. Um, but yeah, so uh, there is a lot of information on the Black Stick Men. Uh, I've just pulled from two websites here, but there's quite a bit. And uh, people do consider them a hostile species. So be on the lookout. If you've got any stories about Black Stick Men, I would love to hear them. Uh, but Josh, let's get to our last segment so we can hurry up and get to Chris Plain because it's amazing. Uh, so let's get to our UAP UFO sighting of the week. All right, UFO, UAP sighting of the week. Josh, what do we got? Where is it from? And what happened? Yep, so I'm pulling this from MUFON. Uh, it happened on uh, September 8th, 
at about 8.40 p.m. local time in Glen Allen, Virginia. I was walking at 8.40 p.m. on 9-8-21. I saw a bright flash like a camera flash way up in the sky. Then a tiny star-like object appeared. Another quick flash, and it took off at incredible speed upwards. It was very high up and took off about as fast as a shooting star. Interesting. And so it took off like a shooting star upwards, though. Upwards, like <laughs> kind of like what we saw in yeah. the backyard. Um, but, I, you know, I have actually I've seen uh, something similar in the daytime, like in the early as like, you know, the sun is rising. You know, I mean, it's maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know, 10 degrees off the horizon. It's still kind of coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've like been looking up in this in the you know sky and I've seen what I can only describe as kind of like that that uh, that uh, what you would call it uh, uh, light lighthouse type action you know where it's, yeah, yeah, it gets yeah. bright They're rotating and it, and it goes out and it gets bright and it goes out and you know when we had um, when we talked to uh, uh, Mark uh, D'Antonio Mark D'Antonio thank you you know he, he said you know hey that's probably just you know a satellite that's flashing but um, I don't know that I've ever seen that happen where it would be a satellite flashing in like the daytime hours so anyways mm-hmm. bottom line is i mean i have seen things like that happen in you know quote unquote broad daylight um that i just can't explain so it's really interesting for sure for sure uh what a fascinating experience um you know we do pull these from places like new fork and mufon and things like that but you are always welcome to send in your own ufo sightings and things like that uh you know we've got our submit a sighting on our our, our webpage there, the fearscapepodcast.com. You know, you can always send that in to us. Uh, but Josh, thank you so much for sharing our UAP sighting of the week. Um, but can let's, I, oh, yeah, my bad. Before we before we move on, can I just give a quick update on my creepy ketchup from last week? It's not really creepy ketchup. Oh, you got an update. update. All yeah. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, you know, I mentioned last week that I had seen uh, a three-star or, or three-light triangle UFO as I was driving um, on early morning, mm-hmm. and I have since checked uh, Flight Radar Twenty Four, uh, the other uh, flight app that I use. Um, it was like too low in the sky to be a satellite. Plus, what three satellites would be grouped that way, moving through the sky, uh, that would have a red flashing light? Anyways, bottom line, no airplanes during that time. Uh, we're, we're around uh, Flight Radar 24 also looks at the mill, uh, the military uh, aircraft that were out and about, mm-hmm. no military aircraft so bottom line, it is in my mind, a UFO um, and uh, I have reported it to MUFON so. Cool man uh, very, very cool man, thank you so much for the update yep. um, well, let's go ahead and uh, get ready here, uh, we'll be right back uh, with uh, our boy Chris Plain. We're going to be getting spooky with uh, the debriefs. Chris Plain. We'll be right back. Who is the Slender Man? Coming to the Fearscape Media Network, FSMN's first ever mega October network crossover event, The Slender Man. Featuring three of your favorite network podcasts covering the Slender Man in all his slender glory. On October 1st, you'll hear Ghosts in the Attic, 
bodies in the basement, covering the slender man stabbing, where two 12-year-old girls lured their friend into a forest and stabbed her 19 times in a tent to become proxies of the fictional character, the slender man. On October 6th, Fearscape Paranormal Podcast will be covering the legend, lore, and creepypasta of the slender man. And finally, on October 12th, join the Misters of the Dark as they cover the 2018 horror film Slender Man, just in time for the Halloween season. Go to fearscapemedia.com or wherever you stream your favorite Fearscape Media Network podcasts. Happy Halloween! Thank you guys so much for sticking around. Uh, we promised you uh, Chris Plain, the head writer over at The Debrief, as well as just everything else, man. You're a novelist and, and a comedian and all kinds of cool stuff, man. I'm super pumped to have you on Fearscape. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Great. Thanks. Uh, is this Josh I'm talking to? Right now it's Stefan. Um, I'm the one with the pretty voice. Josh is the one that sounds like an old slug. <laughs> <laughs> Like a watch and is he the curmudgeon to, to go? Is he the curmudgeon to go with that, or is he? Uh, is that all an act, and he's a big pushover? Both. Uh, he's he yeah. is a both. He is the curmudgeon that is a pushover. It's a weird combination, but it, it's Josh. I'm like a walking rubber band. It. it just keeps stretching from one end to the other. That's all it is. So. <laughs> Are you? I love it. Yes, I heard you're elastic and that you bounce back. Yes, he does. He does. Yeah. Um, well, so I remember, I, I, I'm really excited. I, I do want to get talking about UFO stuff and the debrief and all that stuff, but I'm more excited about your comedy background. I've been doing improv comedy for 25 years now. Um, and I, right? I Yeah. So uh, fellow comedian. Where are you headquartered? Where do you live? Right now I, I live in Phoenix. I moved here in October. So I've had a little bit of it, uh, done a little bit at the Torch Theater here. Uh, but my home base was Louisville, Kentucky for a long time. I ran a team called Damaged Good as well as a school called improv 502 out there until i moved out here in october so fantastic been doing it a long time and traveling all over the country having a good time and uh getting to have somebody that's funny too is is nice since josh is like talking to (laughs) us yeah i'm a stick (laughs) yeah right well if i if i knew that was part of the deal i would have scheduled someone funny to sit in for me but i'll do my best (laughs) modest i like it yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah i had to throw that I, um, i love it I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm a little older than you guys. I'm, I was born in 1969. So I was a student at UCLA in the late 80s, early 90s. And we actually had an organization called the UCLA Comedy Club. Nice. And it was a group. It was a place for students that wanted to get into pretty much at that point. It was just straight stand up comedy because mm-hmm. that was the, you know, SNL was around. But the, the, the main thrust in the comedy world at that point was stand up. Right. And uh, it, it had some early successes. It produced a gentleman by the name of Shane Black before I was ever there. And yep. he's a movie writer, director, Lethal Weapon movies. Oh, yeah. uh, I did know the who most Shane recent, Black is. <laughs> yeah, did the most recent uh, The Predator movie. You know, loves the his most Christmas recent update scenes, of Predator. Man. He loves his Christmas it, scenes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, Lethal Weapon is a holiday movie, of course, yep, just like Die them. Hard. So, <laughs> nope. So, um, yeah, I was a student. I, uh, I ran into a, a fellow comic or one of the comics on campus, and I was making sandwiches at an on-campus job. 
and I was doing shtick for the people waiting in line. And this guy comes up to me and says, hey, man, you need to be doing comedy. This is what you need to be doing. And that guy has gone on to have a hugely successful career in voiceover work. His name's Fred Tattashore. And uh, he does, I mean, he's currently Yosemite Sam. He does incredible, uh, he's the Hulk for Disney. He I does thought that all sounded familiar. Kinds. Yeah, bit, we're big cartoon nerds. So, and uh, yeah, I'm, if I you go Comic Con. <laughs> Okay, great. Yeah, so Fred's a good friend, and he was someone that dragged me to the comedy store, and I ended up uh, falling into the world of comedy, and, and, you know, uh, years later transitioned into writing, because as much as I love comedy, uh, I didn't have a big gaping hole in the middle of my spirit, and most people that are pursuing (laughs) comedy for a living, uh, as I used to tell people, I say, if you choose a job, that has you standing on a stage elevated in front of the room where everyone is facing you, the light is on and you have a microphone so no one else can talk. That says a lot about where you are mentally and emotionally. 100%. So. I say, you know, I, I, I don't do much stand up cause it scares the shit out of me because I, like I said, I do improv. I usually work with a team though. I've done solo improv, but yep. it's a completely different experience than stand up because 100%. improv, you are so forgiven by the audience because they know you're making it up. So they let things slide left and right. But comedians, there's this like culture of heckling, of course. And then there's this whole, they're judging you because they know that you've written a joke and they're waiting to see if it works. And it's, it's a whole different ball of wax. So I actually give credit to standups way more than I do improvisers, even though I love my people. <laughs> I can tell you the, the great benefit to doing improv and doing sketch comedy is working in a team. You know, a friend of mm-hmm. mine from the comedy club went on, my friend Steve went on to do uh, Acme Theater and Second City and these other mm-hmm. uh, growlings, these sort of sketch groups. And he's been the showrunner at Family Guy for the last 20 years. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and he said, he, I was right before the um, COVID hit, I was down at the down at the office, a Family Guy visiting with him and another writer over there I know, and uh, another fellow UCLA Comedy Club alumnus. And uh, Steve told me, he flat out, he said, Chris, of all the things I learned in college and all the skills I developed, sitting in a writer's room with other comedians and figuring out what works and what doesn't is the one skill I took all the way from the comedy club through sketch and now at the job I do today. I, I, so, bet, I bet. Yeah, I've done a lot of sketch writing and there's that's why I like improv so much and sketch writing is the collaboration and it, there's just there's nothing like it. That, guys, sure. guys like you, Stefan, popu- populate the writers' rooms of comedy television. From yeah. you know, Bo- from BoJack Horseman to you know the most mainstream, the Goldbergs or something. If you go into those writers' rooms, the people you're going to run into are people that did improv comedy mm-hmm. and sketch comedy. Yep. And uh, those uh, you'll meet stand-up comics in there. You'll meet them in there. But for the most part, you will meet people that worked in teams and learned how to write like you did on the yeah. fly, on your toes. Yep. <laughs> yep, that's how I live. And, and I live my life. And I carry it into every business practice that I do. If I run a company or even with our podcast, I would practice a lot of tenants and stuff like that. It's amazing how it just it flows into everything I do. 
Christopher Walken's evil character in the James Bond movie, A View to a Kill, mm-hmm. said that one of the keys to genius is improvisation. Now, I don't know if that's really true, but since I'm good at improv, I've taken it as gospel because it's in a movie, so it must be real. It must be. And, uh, yes, it's in a movie. And as Bart Simpson once said, if TV has taught me anything. So... <laughs> that was it. I don't. Re- I don't remember this. I don't remember the second half of the part. <laughs> you don't need anything else. It was probably like eat my shorts or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was just making a big speech in front of everyone and trying to inspire the room. And he says, "You know, if TV has taught me anything, and I don't, you know, I don't remember where." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, welcome back to Fearscape. Uh, improv podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. Where we way. talk about sketch, stand up, improv, and the history of comedy. Right. I had to and, get it uh, out of the way. I don't get to talk about it often on here. <laughs> Not like exactly. every show you mention it. You know, right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It's, he's, he's really been buying the pitch of Sam Waterston Law and Order sketch to somebody. Oh, you don't even like, know. <laughs> you don't even know. Listen. I when I run a murder trial, people get run over. It's my yeah, CSI my, my sketch with Stephen Greer as the detective. <laughs> yes. Oh my God! Does he cry at the end? Always. Stephen Greer is always. He, he always cries at the end, well, Mike. And there's always a scene where he takes his shirt off. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's well. the Matthew McConaughey of the UFO. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He's the, uh, he's the, not to bring it all the way back, but he's the carrot top of the UFO world. So, he's hey, completely sure. ridiculous, somehow makes a living at it, and yeah. is muscular for absolutely no reason. And, they, absolutely and, no, and wears shirts <laughs> one size too small for no reason. And a tank top. Always and, a tank top. And you know when the aliens come down and land. And it turns out that the International Interspecies Peace Conference is a bodybuilding pose-off. Greer will be laughing at all of it. For sure. For sure. <laughs> right now, Josh is like, can we talk about UFOs? No, I don't care. I'm having a good time. I'm enjoying it. He's this. like, I'm napping right now. He's like, I didn't even know we were taping a podcast. that Mark and Mindy shit either. Let's get to some real aliens. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Orson. You know, what if that's really happening, right? What if there's an alien living somewhere in a flat? Why not? So do you guys pronounce it the, the debrief? Is that how you pronounce it? The debrief? It depends. I'm I'm one of those. It's like Appalachia. Do I say Appalachia or Appalachia? I say both. It just depends. Sometimes I say the debrief. Okay. Sometimes I say the debrief. I, I say the I've debrief. had this whole conversation. You say the debrief as well. Okay. I've had this whole whole conversation with Mike Mataloni a couple times on the, uh, the un- Unidentified Celebrity Review and the Singularity Lab over there. And I always tell him that he was the only guy I knew that pronounced the E. He would say it's Chris from the debrief. And uh, for some reason, I don't know, I would always say the debrief. But... <laughs> That's a really it's critical me. point of the conversation it's, here. It's is the pronunci- those- if we don't get past this, there's no interview. Okay. <laughs> the debrief will be pronounced correctly from this point forward. It's, it's the debrief. You guys- it's the debrief, yeah, right? The- it's, you know, that's how you say it. It depends on what part you know, of the You know, one of the founders, from. you're right. Yeah. One of the founders is French Canadian and he calls it the nightmare I've walked into. So he, that's what he calls it. That's how he pronounces it. MJ, MJ Benias, he says, this is the, how do I get out of this nightmare? That's also what he calls it. Do people in the UK say the debrief? No. Yes. The debrief. 
Yes, we have a, a writer from the UK, Graham Randall, and he would say, Chris, that's that's the worst accent in Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> oh, God, they hate Dick, Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> oh, yeah. That poor no, man. That's been confirmed to me in this community. Joel Ethan Dodd is the first podcast I did. He's a Brit living here in the States, and uh, he, he, uh, he pointed out to make sure that we know that Dick Van Dyke's British accents and uh, Mary Poppins is established and confirmed as the worst ever. <laughs> and well, uh, Chrissy, Chrissy will just say, okay, sorry, guys. Uh, it's the debris. Oh. <laughs> when I started working with them and, and, and I'd be on the phone with MJ and he would say UFOs. UFOs. We're talking about UFOs. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about UFOs. I have no idea. <laughs> We're talking about UFOs. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Most yeah, of my family's from Micah's Northern Michigan. from the so. South. Oh, okay. You've got kind of a blended accent then. You've got a Louisville accent. Oh, yeah. you got family from Michigan, and yeah. you're living in Arizona. Oh, yeah, and an actor, and I try to be everybody at once, so I get lost. They actually life. have a name for that exact combination. It's called White Trash. So they have that, that is true. That is true. I actually <laughs> had that long before I even had the combination. That's what's really weird. <laughs> yes, right. It's his go to. Yeah, I grew up in a place called El Cajon, California. So uh, we got a white trash stamped right on our birth certificate. A little, <laughs> little symbol of a trash can. <laughs> It's well, the that's dollar store God, you're going to edit the crap out of this later, aren't you? You're going to be oh, like, no, oh, my no. God. I gotta this is all staying. All of this stuff about no. the garbage can is going. This, this is all this staying. Is, this is my family going to be like, I understand <laughs> what he's saying. Oh, yeah, sorry. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. Ah, gee, Willikers. What a great podcast. <laughs> um, in, uh, <laughs> so in Canada, do they have uh, muse mutilations? Get they have out what? of here. Did you just call it a muse? <laughs> a freaking muse? That's, hey, I've had, I've had four oh, hours. You mean the mooses? Oh, you're talking about the moose? Oh, yeah. That happens, the moose. Uh, they don't get mutilated, the, but the, the aliens come down, they just taunt the mooses. They just go, oh, look at you and your supposed big antlers. You're not all that. Don't get so big for your bridges. Oh, that's, no. That's how the aliens treat the moose. <laughs> like an old friend. Yeah. So yeah. moving on to the moving on to the debrief. The, um, the, the debrief. Yeah, right now, now it's a pile of crazy. What's that junk site this guy writes for it? That CIA cutout front. I get my paychecks from Richard Doty. <laughs> yeah, really. You know, well, it, it, it's it's interesting that you say that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but, uh, but you know, well, I guess if we want to talk about Richard Doty, I, I, you know, since you brought him up, um, we were watching something else. It was the show on uh, Showtime, the UFO. What was it called? Stuff. It's called show UFOs. That, just called UFO. And, oh yeah, uh, the J.J. Abrams yeah, six part yeah. documentary, yeah. and uh, and Richard Doty, of course, was on there uh, several like the last couple of episodes, quite a bit. And I just have a really hard time believing anything he says because he lied for thirty years. I mean, it just yeah. I, mean, I, I I I like to take people at their word. So if somebody says to me, uh, "My name is Tammy Flanagan." And I'm a member of the Pathological Liars Anonymous. 
like John Lovitz used to do on Saturday mm-hmm. Night Live. Yeah. Uh, and then he proceeds to lie. I just take him at his word. I think Richard Doty may have been in or around some programs somewhere doing something. But what it is, what those programs were, how real anything he says yeah. is, I wouldn't know the first thing about vetting it. And I can tell you that inside the debrief's little private discord where those of us that work there and write there talk to each other, these are the same questions we ask. These are the same questions that Micah Hanks and Tim McMillan and MJ Benias and the crew ask and we debate and discuss. And they might have a little more information than the average person because they've been digging at this for a while. But nobody has come to me and said, oh yeah, Doty's full of crap or Doty's 100% dead on. I've never heard either version of that. So for me, in my 52 years of life, I look at a guy like that and I go, I'm gonna trust you when you tell me you're a liar and that's how I'm gonna evaluate what you say. Well, and it's funny because he defends his, like, I think in that show, UFO, somebody said, you know, like off camera, somebody's like, so you, so you lied. And he's like, no, 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 I, I didn't lie. I just uh, told him what he wanted to hear. Or stretched the truth. Right. Or stretched the truth or something. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's still a lie, you know, but, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, yep. it's, um, I just, it, it, you know, you're right. It's either, it's either everything he says is true or everything he says is 100 percent false or i don't know if it's a mixture of both but I, I guess he's, yeah he's, he's secretly andy kaufman and he's just getting his rocks off on all of us well, and why not you know uh, there was a why not why wouldn't there be somebody from the sketch stand-up or improv background who said to himself you know what would be the greatest hoax to pull on everybody mm-hmm. is i change my name to angeli i do an event in the desert or whatever i change my name to richard doty or i just whatever i just tell people that's what i did i i worked at area 51 on a spacecraft and we used element 115 that's what i did that's the ticket <laughs> my name happens to sound like a laser beam but it's lazar. yeah exactly i'm bob laser <laughs> I'm Bob Lazar. Guys, I will tell you. I, too much, Bob. We will. Let's make it Lazar. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you one of the one of the small benefits of age, and you guys don't sound like your children. So you live through a few things in your life. You learn how to look at things differently as you get older and you get experience. Mm-hmm. But there's a true benefit about living through something in real time. So being somebody who was interested in UFOs, when the Bob Lazar story came out, when his book came out, and when Stanton Friedman, who was the original mm. McWest, Amazing Randy, at the same point, believing in the ET hypothesis, but but holding everyone to facts, he would be the first to look at these new videos and say, ah, there might be prosaic explanations here. So he was always critical, but he was a believer at the same time. And he did a lot of research on Lazar right when his story came out. And a lot of it involved looking into his education and his background. And again, this is before the Internet. So guys like me, you're digging up magazines, you're going to the library, you're going to the bookstore, you're listening to uh, uh, Coast to Coast AM when it started. There wasn't a lot of places to get. There wasn't a Fearscape paranormal podcast. It didn't exist. So you had to go dig into where you can find it. And what I saw in real time and what I experienced from um, uh, Stanton's evaluation made me feel 
that Bob Lazar was just making this story up. The alternate version, I think, is feasible, is that because he was in and around that environment, he may have known somebody who worked in this situation who, for one reason or another, told him this story, and he decided, you know, I'm going to make that story my own, and I'm going to go cash in on it. So I think that version is a possibility, but my brain definitely leads towards having lived through it in real time, that before there was ever an internet, most serious UFO people felt Bob Lazar was not a legitimate whistleblower, unfortunately. Because when that book first came out, I can't tell you how excited I was. So what do you, so what do you think about, you know, because the, there was a, a more recent uh, documentary I think Corbell did around Bob Lazar, like maybe within the last mm-hmm. couple of years, and there, there's a there's a scene in there where, um, like Lazar is talking to, to Corbell about uh, like you know Element 115, and then like 45 minutes later his offices are raided. I mean, it, you know, it, you think it's that you know that's legitimate? I mean, or do you think that was all staged for a documentary? So I don't want to give an opinion on something I didn't actually watch. Okay. But uh, here's here's what I'll tell you. I because I write what I write in the community I'm in. I talk to people in things like alternative propulsion and anti gravity, mm-hmm. and this is a group that overlaps a lot with Bob Lazar. And I have because of the guys I work with at the debrief and the scientists I talk to, I've had a lot of people who've had direct interaction with him, and the con. I I feel c- confident in my opinion that he is somebody who said, hey, I look the part. I have a great idea for a story. And, you know, again, before the Internet, you could just throw crap out there and make it your version of the story. Right. And there wasn't a lot. Of, I heard Chrissy talking about the two-way recourse of the 21st century media mm-hmm. in that you will get fact-checked by social media and everything else pretty damn quick. Really? And I think Bob Lazar's story just didn't hold up even in that environment. And I believe it was the late 80s when he came out with that. I mean, it's interesting, though, that since like 2003, I think we've since discovered element 115, or at least. Yeah. You know, so we have a, we again, have a 115 element on the periodic table. <laughs> yeah, right. So, again, you're Bob Lazar. You're looking at it. You're making up your story and you're looking at a periodic table. And the current one goes up to whatever, 112, 113 at that point. So you go, well, I'm not going to make it the next one, you know. I'll make it like, and again, I'm a guy who writes creatively for a living. I've written three novels. I have another novel coming out. I've written TV scripts, screenplays, uh, you know, things that have run on the radio, all kinds of versions of fiction. My website is plainfiction.com. Ironically, I write science now, but that is where I come from. And everything about that story, listen, here's the Richard Doty element of Bob Lazar that everyone should always keep in mind. And it's this, when Stanton Friedman asked him about his education, Bob Lazar offered a list of colleges, including MIT, that he attended for his various degrees. When Stanton, in person, a, a, a piece of video that existed when I was a kid, in the you know, a teenager in the 80s, when Stanton, in person, was asking him <clears throat> about these colleges and about these Stan says, well, hey, I know a lot of guys over at Caltech. I know a lot of guys at MIT. He starts naming professors. And he says, who was your professor? 
and and Bob Lazar thinks for a minute and he says, uh, you know, it was uh, a professor so and so would know me, and he named it one or two names. And this all happened again. This is all happening in real time in the late '80s as we're watching this guy's story be vetted and unfold without the benefit of social media. And when Stanton kind of blew the whistle on the whole thing and came out and said, look, I don't believe his story. I've done the research. I've looked into his background. The professors he named were professors at the community college he went to. And the only degree we can find for him. And every professor he named from MIT or Cal, I don't remember which ones they were exactly. I think it was those two. Uh, were d- did not exist at those schools. Hmm. I think if you open your story with lying about your education, if you're a legit whistleblower, one of the most critical pieces of your story is your honesty about who you are and your education, your professional background. That's when a whistleblower, you're, you're asking people to believe purely on your credibility. So he opened with lies and uh, Stanton couldn't confirm any of them. Well, and, and like you said, I mean, it's when you, you know, at that given that at that that time, that kind of material for like you know the professors at a school or things like that, those are things that are easily verified, right? It's exactly, e- yeah, I mean, even back then, easily right, verifiable, right? You know, so, yeah. I mean, and Stan was a, was an educator, former educator, and he was a scientist. He didn't have a PhD; he had a master's in engineering, but he worked as a rocket scientist, and he was the you know. He was the, uh, like I say, the true believer of my generation. He was the guy running around trying to prove this from a scientific basis. And he's, uh, his ethos and his mindset is probably the closest I bring in the rare occasion I report on UFOs. Yeah, I mean, we when we had uh, Kathleen Martin on a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, I guess, whenever it's been now, but um, she, you know, she spoke very highly of, of Stanton. And of course, in her book, I mean, Stanton is mentioned uh, throughout her book about the Barney, you know, Betty Barney Ho case. So, um, you know, we talked to a couple of people that, you know, knew Stanton very well. And um, and and I'm saddened that I'll never be able to talk to him. So, yeah, agreed. Yeah, me, me too. He's a I always say there are there are people in this field that have gone that deserved to know the truth and deserve to learn what was going on. And uh, they're not going to get to see that answer. And I can tell you, I've already mentioned my age a couple of times, but there is a point along the trail of this mystery, something that I started looking into at age eight in 1977 when I saw the first In Search of documentary about UFOs on television. Mm -hmm. And in that time, it's only recently occurred to me that, wow, I may not, you know, I do think I do think we're getting close to some answers. Right. And I think some of those answers are going to be very satisfying for people. That's that's as much as I will hint at what I think is going to happen. But uh, I don't know that we'll ever get a, a spaceship on the lawn with aliens stepping out. I don't know that that on the White even, House lawn. I don't know that that even would. even if we did, uh, most people would say that it was a hoax video or photo or sure. whatever the case would be. So, I mean, Probably I mean right. we, we we talk about it quite a bit. I mean, I think. I think most people who have experiences, those experiences are meant for them. I mean, it's it's fun to go on and, and share, you know, share them out. Like we talk about things that happened to us on this podcast, sure. and we read stories from people who send them in. 
and it's okay to share that just but but the sharing is more or less to let people know that they're other people know that they're not alone in the experiences yep. that they have but you know nothing that i talk about my experiences is going to sway or make someone who is a non-believer a believer it's you know just to again let people know that they're not alone out there so i th- i think when you when you find yourself in this community, which it was, as I said, it was something I did in the background throughout my life, something I followed throughout my life, but I didn't really join this community in any formal way until I started writing for the debrief uh, in December of last year. And what I found was people like Ryan Sprague, for instance, who I work with and write with over at the debrief. And his entire show is connecting with these experiences with these people that have gone through, you know, or as Jeremy McGowan would call them, witnesses, depending on your circumstances. Not everybody likes the term experiencer, but um, I think think missing the human element would be missing the whole picture. So I think that's ultimately the story here. However, I will tell you as somebody who writes about science, that's the job I have at the debrief, and I have written about UFOs uh, when NASA got involved, uh, when the uh, Aeronautic Institute got involved, and various other scientific organizations got involved. But I can tell you that uh, there's a, I believe, you know, people say this all the time, but I believe we're gonna find multiple phenomena at work. And I don't think, there's, there's a one-size-fits-all answer. Do I think there are secret craft that could be tested? But, you know, when the UAPTF comes out and says, all right, we've looked at it, and we're pretty sure it's not China, pretty sure it's not Russia, and we're going to go ahead and what Elizondo and these other ones say is, we're pretty sure it's not us. So saying we're pretty sure or we're confident it's not us, that it's not a secret American program, that's, I, I think, the language of the UAPTF. Yeah. All that requires to not be true is for that to be a lie, meaning they have a project that they think is secure enough. And I can tell you, if you had anti-gravity, if you had something that operated the way the Tic Tac was described and that got into the hands of governments or organizations around the planet uh, that had a a nefarious intent towards the rest of the world or to, you know, that rationalizing lying about that I don't think is very hard to do well, so I like, don't ever take that off the table until we literally have the president standing in front of the nation saying I've looked into it I've been briefed yeah. these well, are not ours I think it's I think it's that UFO doc again sorry to keep going back to it it's just the one that I've most recently watched but sure, sure. They, talk, they talk about um, how the government at the time of the Roswell crash did have these high flying, you know, spy balloons that were, that were, that they were operating and they, they didn't want to let their, you know, uh, other players in the field know that they had them. And so they were happy to run with the UFO story because it took the attention off of these legitimate spy balloons that were out, you know, being used. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, you know, I, I don't think there's, you know, in that, in that, a UAP report there's nothing in there that if it turns out to be false puts anybody in any position of like perjury or any of that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. I mean there's there's really no reason for them to have to tell us the truth and I also think that those breadcrumbs exist in the UFO community lore in things like 
you know, Wilson Davis documents or other, you know, these other controversial pieces of evidence that exist, testimony that exists. But even guys like Mellon and Elizondo are, are often pointing to this idea of this getting moved out of government hands into a private program back in the late 40s or 50s and being insulated in a position so you can honestly say, yep, it's not ours because it isn't. It's this private company that we right. contracted it out to 70 years ago right. or a hundred years or a hundred years ago when Tesla broke anti-gravity. Who's to yes. say it's not a human made thing that we've had for, a, you know, the Foo Fighters were before Roswell. One of yep. my colleagues, Graham Rendell, who I mentioned, my colleague at the debris, just wrote a great book, a 500 plus page book looking really deep into the Foo Fighters. And he and I will disagree on their oranges because he leans more towards an ET one. But I always feel the easiest thing in the UFO sphere, and I'm not talking about ghosts, paranormal, supernatural, psychic phenomena, other things. I think those all live in their own areas. But in the UFO sphere, I think it's always best for me at least to start with ruling out a human cause just because it's known. So when I get, you know, there's there's definitely a, a reasonable, feasible case since UFOs exist. If we're gonna give that things are flying around, that pilots and people see, that seem to have capabilities uh, that we don't currently possess or necessarily understand how they would work. Um, I think that that's the situation we're in. I think we're 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 in a situation where we have to look for incredible answers, mm-hmm. not just credible answers. So Fun. in that environment, we we start with human made. But if we can rule that out, for a guy like me who writes about astronomy and writes about exobiology and talks to exobiologists at NASA and people that work in this astrobiologist in this field. The idea of life on another planet is by no means a big deal anymore. And the cosmos is known, planets are known. So you don't even need to get into time travel or interdimensional or any of these other answers, none of which I'm ruling out. But you can definitely stay in the known world and have either human tech or you can have ET tech and we're still in the three dimensional space and fourth dimensional time that we currently operate. Well, and, you know, it's when you look back at a lot of uh, breakthrough technology over the years, a lot of times it was developed in a military capacity and implemented for many years before it was available for commercial use. And so the same thing can be can be said of, you know, if you know, because I I think one of the big arguments is, is that people don't think that we as a people have advanced enough to be able to develop this stuff on our own. But. I mean, look at some of the just advances in the commercial technology that's available in where we are versus sure. 100 years ago. Well, and, Why and can't like, we? Well, and like Chris was saying earlier, it's like if we've had this inf- this stuff for 100 years at this point and have kept it from people, we absolutely could have done a lot within a century. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, yeah, and, and, and so then right again. Now, yeah. So then again, I think that's the... That's the question. If you're trying to rule out a man-made answer, a human-made answer, if you're trying to rule that out, you need to ask yourself, if in and around World War II, a country like the United States had that ability, just the one ability I'm talking about is anti-gravity, the ability Mm -hmm. to propulse a ship through the air in an anti-gravity way. 
something that plenty of scientists, including mainstream scientists, are working on today. And it's something I report on regularly and something I wouldn't be surprised to see, wink, wink, guys, uh, reported on in the debrief sometime soon. So the idea that humans are working on real practical anti-gravity and just 70, 75 years ago, that the government, military, or whatever either brought that program in from the private sector, or as you said, uh, Josh, was developed within a military program. The idea that after World War II, those people inside looked at each other and said, all right, we're at the top of the mountain. We are the U.S., we've won the war, we've got the atomic bomb. In the current environment, unless we actually go to war with the Soviet Union, we don't have to pull out this ace in the hole. We don't have to pull out this anti-gravity thing. So we keep it hidden because if anyone else has it and anyone else gets it, once we put it out there, it's a matter of time before someone else has it. Mm-hmm. That puts us so, in a very precarious position. So, I, like I said, Graham Rendell and I argue about the ace in the hole hypothesis. <laughs> and it's one I like. I don't say it's the truth. I'm just saying it's one that yeah. takes no other explanation than for humans have to figure it out gravity and for people to be lying about. Well, and, and what about the Nazi bell, right? Yeah, so... I do feel like the Glock and Hanabu and the various Nazi anti-gravity things. I wrote a feature for UAP research about a year ago called uh, the paperclip hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And I went into that, this idea that Nazi scientists have broken gravity, uh, that what we were seeing in the Foo Fighters were basically Nazis have figured out, all right, we can fly these little things around, but we can't really put bombs on them or anything. So they're just harassing fighters doing what they can as a last-ditch effort with this nascent technology. And that when we brought those scientists over, to over 2,000 of them here, over 3,000 of them to Russia, the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. and uh, those thousands of scientists I mean, yeah, Werner von Braun was working on rockets, but I don't think he needed 1,999 assistants. So somebody was working on something else in there. Guys were working on other things. These these cutting-edge scientists were working on other things. So because of the, you know, Gemini and uh, Apollo and, you know, the Mercury programs, we know about Werner, Braun, Werner, Werner von Braun. We know about the rockets. But there hasn't necessarily been a circumstance where we have to know about the other one if it yeah. is, again— in a purely theoretical situation where it's a human thing, it's just that simple. And the way we figured out electromagnetism and the way we figured out alternating current versus direct current, the way we figured out a lot of basic fundamental things, it's not completely impossible that we have figured out or are on the cusp of figuring out, again, wink, wink, anti-gravity. So um, kind of keeping along this kind of same vein of thought, um, secret space program do you think we have been secretly operating a more complex space program than what we see in the public so do i so with everything i just said (laughs) i do not think there's any large-scale operation going on of any sort humans cannot keep secrets Large-scale operations cannot keep... <laughs> they just can't be done. Agreed. This is the number one thing. I talk to scientists at NASA on a regular basis. Part of my job is one of my beats. And one of the things they all tell me is, they, hey, you, know, you guys report about UFOs at the debris, right? I'll say, yeah, you know, 
if there's a scientific angle or whatever, you know, we try, but, and, and they'll all tell me, well, you know, Hey, if I know anything, I'll let you know, because you know, scientists can't keep our mouths shut. So we're going <laughs> to let you, you know, I mean, I get that on the download all the oh, time. I get that fantastic. from scientists, researchers on the download all the time. I told the guys when I joined the debrief, when they brought me on eight days into the company's existence and they hired me on as a writer, I told them, and I've told, said this in other interviews, if you have definitive proof of UFOs or something, you know, the triangle photo was very famous at the debrief at that time, if you guys remember that yeah. whole story and that controversy. And I said, if you guys have a copy of the triangle photo and you, and you do send it to me, that will be the last day I work with you because I will take it public. Because I think there's an obligation to humanity. I think if I'm the person that has something that critical in my hand, yep. that I don't get to decide for the rest of society if we get to see it or not. Mm -hmm. You know, blast the nonsense about the signal equipment we picked it up on or whatever. You can blur everything around the sides out and just give us the shot of the thing. Okay, the, that picture alone. You can blur out any metadata, any other information you want. So I said right from day one, if you guys give me that, if, if you have a copy of that and you forward it over, just know that I am the leaky sieve on this boat. <laughs> that information will immediately, immediately go out to the public and I will wash my hands of the debris. So <laughs> like, I like this guy. Now with that, now with that being said, they do still share things with me from yeah. time to time. So. But uh, yeah, there's no there's no great photos or videos on any computers I own or in any situations where I could release them, and I'll leave it at that. So I'm gonna ask a kind of off the wall question, but uh, but 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 giving your the conversation thus far um, and your insight to things, I'm just curious. So we were recently given uh, a name to look into uh, Dryden, the original uh, you know director of NASA. And I'm just wondering if uh, you have any special thoughts or opinions on Dryden and his potential involvement in anything that we've been talking about. Uh, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know who that. Okay. So yep. I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's something I've followed throughout my life. As I like to tell people on my 24th day of life, my mother parked me in front of the TV while, uh, uh, Neil Armstrong took the first steps onto the moon. So uh, I've been around for a while, but yeah, I wasn't around at the beginning of NASA. And I don't know that I've taken the time to look into uh, so much of the background. I can tell you this. When you look into the history of science and UFOs, there was a really interesting period from 1947 to 1952, from essentially those first public sightings and things like that to that press conference uh, that Major uh, was it Sanford had yep. the uh, credible observations of incredible things uh, famous uh, is the biggest press conference since the end of World War II so yep. I think there was a period of time and I really feel like because of the military mindset of the Cold War era that NASA was left out of the picture because they knew at NASA what what you have at NASA is a bunch of eggheads. It's always been a bunch of eggheads. Mm -hmm. It's the room. It's the smartest men and women in the room are at NASA always have, and military 
types like to employ and control smart people. They work all through the military. I talk to regular scientists every day that are like, oh yeah, I'm under a contract from DARPA or I'm under a contract from the Air Force Research Lab. So there are things they flat out can't tell me. So the military likes to keep that control. I'd be surprised if somebody early in the NASA game was big, unless it was the other way around, unless he was someone they installed in NASA to keep an eye on things. Well, in the in the the in our research looking into Dryden, he was like uh, he was originally the, the director of NACA in a CA, which was which the is, predecessor. Mm-hmm. And it's of interesting NASA. because it's, he was he was that from 1947 to 1958. You know, during yeah. that really? time period. Yeah, um, which is interesting. So I just, you know, you know, the, this person that's, that's given us the information has uh, said that, um, you know, he's uh, he knew about Roswell, was was responsible for the establishment of the Air Force, uh, a bunch of other things. So I'm just, yeah, Great. just yeah. just a very interesting guy. He's also been yeah. credited a lot for the Apollo moon missions. He was the guy that had uh, Kennedy's ear and kind of said, hey, we need to catch up with the Soviets. You know, let's let's get a manned hmm. moon. Flight. Do you have a Do you have a first name for this gentleman? Yeah, Hugh Hugh Dryden. Hugh Hugh Dryden. I'll hmm. be in the uh, debrief uh, team meeting tomorrow. I'll throw it out and see what comes back at. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, he's a he's a it's an he's an interesting character for sure. Um, you know, was was significant part of the Echo Two balloon satellite. I mean, just all kinds of stuff, man. And he was he was on that presidential I, I committee that- and. Just an interesting. I bet guy. Tim McMillan has a. Uh, I bet Tim McMillan has a three-inch file. You know, here's the thing: <laughs> these guys. When I came in, I told these guys at the debrief, they're all pretty much in their thirties that run the show over there, mm-hmm. and I told them all. I said, I have a little bit of life experience from living through things in real time, but when it comes to 2017 to present, when it comes to this completely, completely different UFO world we are in now. And I can tell you, it is completely different, Very different than any other time in history. These guys are so in tune. MJ, Micah, and Tim—they've been—they know their history. Don't get me wrong. I can mm-hmm. tip a beer back with Micah Hanks and talk about you know 1955 uh, report from scientists on anti-gravity, and he'll know just right. what I'm talking about. I mean, these guys know their history, but when it comes to these really getting into what's happened and knowing the current players and even connecting to someone like you're talking about a huge ride and these three guys know their stuff i was really blown away when they brought me in there and the first time i sat in on a writer's meeting because you know i was arrogant i said i've been following this shit for 40 years i know you know these guys weren't born when i was going to the bookstore buying my first (laughs) ufo book literally And yet at the end of, at the end of really getting to know these guys, you know, these are legitimate, um, uh, investigative reporters. I heard Chrissy say she works with a great team of investigative Mm -hmm. reporters on your show. And I can tell you, we have, I don't, I I have yet to put myself in that, uh, category. I'm pretty new to investigation, but Mm -hmm. I do a lot of science writing. I talk to a lot of people, but I can tell you those three gentlemen, and I would go ahead and throw Jazz Shaw in that. He writes for us as well. Mm-hmm. Those four, they know this topic. And if there is something there, that's the thing I love about this group. They'll get a whiff of something, they'll start digging. And there are plenty of 
tantalizing UFO stories that haven't made it to our front page because they didn't play out. We get leads like that, like you guys are talking about, our email every day, our, our, our private DMs. Most of us have our DMs open. I leave mine open. And I get stuff in there. These guys get stuff in there. We share it with each other. And we look into everything because if somebody has something real, if this this lead is steering you gentlemen in the right direction, you have to follow it. Mm-hmm. You have to look into this guy. You got to see because how stupid you, would you feel if the real whistleblower gave you the goods and you didn't follow up? Yeah. So we 100%. do it. We follow up. But a huge percentage of that just never makes it to our front page. Yeah. And, and to harken back to what you were talking about, like living through that, like, you know, we're, we both graduated in 97 and that was a bit, that was the Phoenix lights year, you know, like that oh, was, that okay. was what we lived through. Josh and I was that era, you know, that and heaven's gate and just all of this other stuff. And it's also around the time, the alien autopsy video, you know what I mean? Like it was. Oh yeah. Well, and you know what the time. NIDS website, the NIDS website, Bigelow's website mm-hmm. was out in 95 to 01, 02. Yeah. I remember going to that website every morning. And oh, going, I was on Man, it. am I'm, I going to get... Oh, I, signed into Prodi- about the- I signed into my Prodigy yep. account and got on there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, the, the, the Phoenix Lights is a crazy story. I remember that being on the news. Mm-hmm. And my mom, my mom and dad turned into me and go, you know, I'm in my late 20s and I remember visiting them and then seeing that on the news or at yep. some point along the way asking me, do you think that's real? Because yeah. you're the one that reads all of that. Do yeah, you think, my dad. That's how there? I found out my dad was a UFO guy was during the Woo, Phoenix Light really? stuff. Because he was like, this is so interesting. I'm like, you like this stuff? And he's like, oh, yeah, man. If, oh, that's how I found out he's into ancient astronauts because he loved Chariots of the Gods book. And all, I was like, holy <laughs> shit, where have you been my whole childhood? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I was lucky that way. My, I had this dichotomy where my mother was very religious, Catholic, mm-hmm. and if I brought home a UFO book, she thought it was demonology. Oh yeah, my dad. My dad had yeah. My dad had zero religion. We used to jokingly say my mother married a uh, a heathen or a pagan. Yeah, oh yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. and my my father uh, watched the pilot episode of In Search of with me. He yes. would sit around at age nine. I'd be nine, ten years old, and we'd be discussing whether or not the Loch Ness monster was real. I love it. And my Search mother of, would be. Man. Oh man, they. Let me tell you guys, if you ever get the time, I think you guys are just old. If you ever get the time, go back and read the episode descriptions on IMDb or something. Mm-hmm. They were doing remote viewing. Oh, yeah. They I've, were well, doing I've watched, I've re-watched it a couple years stuff. back. I got like a... I don't know, like a bullet oh, copy you? at a, con- a convention years ago or whatever. And I watched it. A guy, you know, love Leonard Nimoy already. So I was <laughs> sure. into that. And the new one had just come out. The one with um, the guy that played Siler. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. The guy that also played Spock and Spock too. I guess yeah, he did play Spock as well. Um, But yeah, yeah, and so I loved and I remembered watching reruns of that when I was a kid. Like just fascinated. Zachary Quinto. Zachary Quinto. That's Zachary Quinto. But yeah, so I I I was able to watch all those old episodes and yeah, it's fascinating (laughs) to watch the. They were. I I grew up with. Yeah, yeah. Oh, please, and that was. Seeing that was the only place, though. Again, mm-hmm. think about think about all the websites you can go to. Think about mm-hmm. all the podcasts you can listen to, like the Fearscape Paranormal podcast. 
<laughs> think of all these great things you can listen to. I'm just going to keep name dropping that in for you guys. Do okay, it. Cool. Uh, yep. you think, of, <laughs> think of all these amazing resources. Think of social media. Think of all of that. And take all of that away. And if you guys graduated in 97, you're old enough to remember that. You're old enough to remember pretty much no internet. Yep. And so what are my options? If I'm interested in UFOs, because I saw an room. episode of Insurgents, they didn't even have that. I, I started yeah. programming at Commodore 64 in 1984, and there weren't really good chat rooms until about 86. <laughs> yeah. So I, mean, I, I can tell library. you, I was there for the first one. I, I was in the was first like, chat room where two oh, nerds yeah. looked at each other and went, hey, what are you doing in here? And I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're inventing the internet, I think. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> But yeah, it's like I, oh. I I would go to the library and just lived in the occult section, which back then UFOs pretty much sat in there and just read everything that I could. It was, you know, about five books. That's all they would, you know, Toledo. I grew up in Toledo, yep. Ohio, and that's a big Catholic town. Okay. So good luck finding it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be yeah, and my corner, mother like, told me, she says, this is going to lead you to a cult. My mother yep. would tell me that flat yep. out. You're reading these books. This is going to lead you into a cult. Yeah. And I would be buying, I, I bought a book called Instant ESP because, you know, ESP is something you can learn from a book at age 10. <laughs> yes. Everyone knows that, right? <laughs> so I'll bring home, I'll read the book, and by tomorrow, I'll be mowing the lawn while watching TV because I'll be using telekinesis to mow the lawn because I read this here book. So, I'm not in you a know, cult, Mom. I'd the, like you to meet my Lord and Savior, Stephen right. Greer. Exactly. <laughs> right. Look at his muscles. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my goodness. So yeah, it was a it was a, a mixed bag. But yes, I I tell people that all the time that that going to the bookstore and going to a section called the occult. Mm-hmm. And trying to find scientific information about UFOs <laughs> was pretty was was yeah pr- pretty much emblematic of the state of the situation. Uh, really, honestly, until it, it, we can pick on him all we want. I love to pick on Stephen Greer because he's a goofball. Mm-hmm. But uh, that 2001 press conference was yeah arguably before 2017 the most significant ufo event of my life hands down and we talk about all the time how much he's changed over the years because 2001 stephen greer and david koresh i mean uh 2021 (laughs) um stephen greer is completely different (laughs) completely different but yeah look at a guy like look Look at a guy like Lou Elizondo, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I haven't had the opportunity to meet Lou, but everyone I work with has and interviewed mm-hmm. him and all that. And I have a pretty pretty positive opinion about the guy. I don't know where you guys come down on, but it seems, seems like, like him, a, yeah. you know, for, for all the negative stuff I said about Doty, here's a guy who also <laughs> says he was in military intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> right. For some reason, I'm completely comfortable with him because he's telling me what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he it's looks it's like it's some it's a-hole I grew up with. I feel like, I know that guy. I know three guys like Elizondo. He's got a trusty goatee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Right, yeah. He has that, like, I have friends that are bikers, but I'm not a biker. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can relate to him. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. that let me in. <laughs> so when I look at a guy like him, and I say, look at where he where he is in in the September of 2021. Is that where we are? September of yeah. 2021. Yep. And for lack of a better term, he's He's put it all out. He's spent what he's had to spend. Mm-hmm. There's, He can keep doing interviews, but we've painted the podcasters and interviewers have painted every edge around the box of the NDA that mm-hmm. he's not going to let you inside. 
So yeah. everything that he's going to give up has been given up. Yeah. Everything that, and now what does he do? How does a guy like that who's, I don't know what, 48 years old, what does a guy like that do for a living? And your options become very thin. You say, well, I could become Richard Dolan. I can write books and get a Patreon and a podcast. I can talk about UFOs. And I can build an audience of followers that more or less like pay my bills. And uh, not that, hey, we're all trying to make a living. I'm mm-hmm. over at the debris. Yeah. What do you think we're, we're doing, right? right so exactly. I'm not looking down on that in any way. But you do look at the environment you're in when you're in the UFO world. And if you're committed to that, if that's a world you're going to live in like he is living in now. And that's you're going to stay on the mission like he says he's staying on. Brother's still got to pay the bill. Right. Right. So I think Dr. Greer found himself in this place. I think he, he blew the wad in 2001. He, he, he got the disclosure project rolling very shortly after he had a thing called Space Energy Access Systems or Seize Power. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a look for zero point energy and anti-gravity and that. And I think he very quickly found himself saying, I can tour the circuit. I can do the UFO conventions. I can put out a video here and there, but I, I, I mean, you know, I got to pay the bills. I, and I, I think, think I think he's just for gonna better up- or worse. You end up with CE five. Yeah. And you know, I have a very negative opinion about that. Yeah. Well, I think I'm he's not- just going to end up marrying Chris Mellon and, you know, just live off his money. That's absolutely that's, right. That's I do. <laughs> yeah. So I just think, yeah, I just think Stephen Greer just found himself in a situation he didn't expect to be. Yeah, I think he expected agreed. his work. I think he expected his work to lead to disclosure in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. that the mission would be accomplished and he would find another or be the guy who brought it there and, you know, never buy a drink for the rest of his life. Cause every bar people go, Hey, here's the asshole that yep. gave us UFOs for real. Yep. You know? So I, I do think that when reality set in and we got into the 2010s, I, I do think there was a shift into, you know, it's very, I can tell you, I got, you know, a few hundred followers on Twitter. I don't have any presence in the world, but I can tell you when I was up touring and doing comedy, Having a room full of 300 people or 3,000 people cheering while you're on stage and laughing oh, and yeah. celebrating, it's pretty damn addictive. And I can see a guy like Rich, you know, a guy who's that into weightlifting. Uh, I, I could just see that him going, you know, and I don't know anything. I don't want to talk about a guy I don't know for sure, but yeah. it's not surprising to me when guys that enter. Did we just lose him? Yep. Men in Black got him, ladies and gentlemen. Men in Black got him. Sorry, guys. My phone just suddenly hung up, and I looked down in panic that my battery is dead. But no, I have yeah. 76. We were yeah, like, the, it's the Men in Black. Men in Black got you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. The first time I went on the Singularity Lab with Matt Aluni, my signal kept scrambling, and somebody put out a uh, GIF of uh, Lieutenant Tim McMillan in the ice cream truck out in the parking lot scrambling the signal so I couldn't give away all the debris, all the debris secrets. I'm sorry, a GIF. A sorry, GIF. I say GIF. I hate it. I, I work it, with right? a lot of younger folks and they all call it GIF and it drives me nuts. And I'm like, I, well, just, yeah. time I, I guess that is the right, I, I mean, I understand that that is the right term. But that, but yeah, it's still the guy that created me, right? it, that's what he said it was, so that's how it but, got you changed. Know, yeah. like, Choosy moms choose GIF. So, it's a, you know. That's right. <laughs> 
it's gonna always be a good. Uh, so I feel like I'm doing all the talking here, guys. Well, so uh, well, tell me if I'm dominating no, I, this conversation. I actually wanted to ask because when you, when we were getting, you know kind of the green room conversation, if you will, you said you had some questions, and I don't know if we've given you an opportunity to ask your questions or if you remember oh no that was that was just kind of my intro stuff oh, okay. about where you guys were and your background oh, okay. and who's the wise guy in the group who's the, the smart guy, ass in the group who's the pushover in the group yeah, yeah exactly um, yeah. well we are no, getting close just, to time and i don't want to uh keep you here forever but i do want to mention um real quickly though one of my favorite articles of yours which is the uh the the seven star trek um, technologies yep. soon to become a reality. We're both huge Trekkies, and we quote this yep. this article all the time. <laughs> I, uh, I I tell the guys all the time, you know, when if you go into the debrief, and I'll give you a little inside baseball here, but if you go to the debrief metrics and you look at our stories that perform, it's not unusual for our UFO stories to do well. Oh, yeah. now, we have plenty of stories that do well. It's not unusual for most of our UFO stories to perform very, very well. And as I noted, it's something I rarely write about over there. I've written... Uh, almost a hundred stories at the debrief and I have written four about UFOs mm -hmm. or related and they've all been science related. So when I write a science story that not only resonates, but really hits a home run with our readers, I'm, I'm doubly pleased because we're built in to succeed with the UFO story. When I wrote the story about the AIAA safety conference, and them looking into UFOs and all that, that story did really well. But I knew going in right. and when I wrote this Star Trek story, it's one of the best performing stories we've had. And I, that has nothing to do with me. I'll, I'll take credit <laughs> for writing this story. But it, what it has to do with is all of us loving science fiction, mm -hmm, loving yep. Star Trek, and going, is any of that crap going to become legal? Or, I mean, become real? Yep. And I remember when I told my younger brother uh, when the story was coming out, he goes, all I want to know is, is there going to be transporters? And I go, well, I know that's all we really want to know. Yeah, but did that. But there's so many other, there's so many other cool technologies in Star Trek. And as you guys pointed out, things like tablets, yep. things like talking to your computer, that a lot of that's already come and gone. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of that is already beyond happening. But a lot of the forward looking stuff, universal translators, and uh, food replicators, all of that stuff. You know, I, I come across stories. That, that all kind of came out of, I came across these guys building this tractor beam, right? Mm -hmm. And they, it's a real tractor beam yeah. that uses light on very small scales to pull objects forward. And I went, holy crud, they're building a tractor beam. Like that's the thing from my childhood that when they turned on the tractor beam, even my dad would chuck on the TV, go, oh, they're putting on the tractor beam. Like you <laughs> knew it was hocus pocus, right? Yeah. And here it was real. The phasers were hocus pocus. And here we are building lasers that are more powerful than that, you know? Like really photon torpedo. It's just a bot with antimatter. Well, we now know how to make antimatter yeah. number it differently. Yep. Well, I mean, they always say that they always say that, you know, art imitates life, but now we're seeing so much more life imitating art, you know, that these up and coming folks are seeing these science fiction things and wondering, hey, can we make this a reality? You know, uh, that's what's fascinating yeah. about it all. Can we build it? Yes, we can. And so. then you, and then it makes you wonder, you know, it's like, you know, there's that theory that science fiction 
is the government's way of getting us prepared for these technologies that already exist, right? Or this thing of, hey, let's uh-huh. put this out there to find a new generation to build these things that we need. You know, like that. There's always those theories. And and, and I'll, I don't know if you I don't know if you know this or not, but I, I remember watching like Science Channel or something. No, we didn't know that you did that, Josh. Yeah. So like fifteen years, yeah. like fifteen years ago on Science Channel, there was a thing they were talking about. They actually have transported a molecule uh, but it didn't transport the molecule it just created a copy of the molecule in the other place so that's what mm-hmm. they were talking about on the science channel show that that's the biggest challenge you would have with transporters is, is that it would they'd be able to scan whatever and recreate it wherever but it would just be a copy of it and not so like then you would have your original self in one location mm-hmm. and your copy self and in another location. Second Riker, dude. Second yeah. Riker. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, Is and I, I I address that right. I address that right in the story. <laughs> I talked about that exact exact example you're talking about with Riker, and it's why you would never get me in a transporter because not only would I be dead after being molecularized, but the a-hole copy of me would be 100% sure he is me because he has every single memory of mine up to the very last moment when he'd be like, oh yeah, the transporter worked. I'm here now. Like, he would have no idea that he's uh, a a, a clone unless he ran into himself like Riker. Barkley had the right, he was in it right saying, be scared of this shit, guys. (laughs) Well, and uh, there was a, another sci-fi channel that was actually on the sci-fi channel. It was like uh, Dark Matter, I think was what it was. It ran for a couple of seasons. But they would take vacations to like other planets. And the way they would do that is they would clone a body at that other planet that had a limited lifespan. And you would walk around on Mars or whatever in this other body. And then when you were done, you would just oh, that's cool upload idea. your consciousness back into your original body and the clone that was on the other planet on Mars or whatever would die off. Yeah, there's an old sci-fi story that's like that, too, where they cloned it into yeah. a robot. Like, they send your consciousness into a robot and you're able to walk around in other planets. Yeah. And then it was so. sent back. We actually do that at the debrief, but the only options I had was I could be Stefan or Josh. I was like, yeah, I'll just, I'll stay. I would. <laughs> probably a smart, smart yeah, probably. move. Probably a smart move. Guys, let me tell you one more thing uh, before before you get off of that topic on the Star Trek story, uh, because it resonated so well, because this is such a theme, and because I am a fiction writer with a science mm-hmm. fiction novel coming out next year, um, uh, there's more of that coming. I'm going to look into the science of Star Wars. <sighs> I'm going to look into the science. I'm going to look into the science of Stargate. Nice. And before and before Dune comes out, I'm going to look into the science of Dune. Oh, I can't wait because for there's Dune. a lot of things. There are a lot of things in each and every one of those because I've been putting that research together mm-hmm. and I've been working on all of these stories already. And I can tell you some of that stuff is way further along than I had oh, any idea. Oh, man, that's fantastic. So, what, a, what, what a little yeah. mouth-wetter teaser there. <laughs> I, 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 saw, I saw something I saw something the other day that just talking about Dune that, that said that uh, Dune and Star Wars are in the same galaxy. Because Dune is a spice Ooh. mining planet, and they have spice mining in Star Wars. Oh yeah, I mean Han was a spice runner. Ooh, the spice mines of Castle, yeah. yeah. So interesting. Interesting, yeah. You know, uh, that's uh, I, 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 it's probably for another podcast, but I'll tell you, Dune, as a guy who writes fiction and is moving it from fantasy into science mm-hmm. fiction now, although I have more fantasy novels coming, um, I can tell you that Dune 
is as groundbreaking a novel and as groundbreaking a series as there ever been. It was a decade plus before uh, the first Star Wars came out. And they were doing basically an epic fantasy novel in a science fiction environment. All the elements you would have in an epic fantasy Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or Harry Potter, any of those. All of those storytelling elements. That's why I love it so much because, man, I'm a big fan of fantasy, a big fan of sci fi. You find a way to combine those two, you got me for life. So, um, and I'll, oh, I'll me too, my man. And I'll tell you this: um, uh, I've got a daughter that uh, is very cautious when it comes to doing things, and I'll, I tell her all the time. And in fact, she tells me sometimes too. Uh, fear is the mind killer. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. From Dune, which which tells me that she watched the bad movie version from the 1980s. So extra props. Shut up. Captain Picard's in that movie. <laughs> That's right. And there's plenty of things to love about that movie. There's Fremen and big worms yeah. and all killing with sounds. I'll tell you when he <laughs> when 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 uh, Muad'Dib can finally kill with his voice and he doesn't need the amplifier box. Oh, yeah. And one of the other guys said that scene in that movie gives me chills to this It day. does. I go, look at that, killing with that. Yeah. <laughs> Just like they did during the satanic panic. <laughs> Muad'Dib, tell me of your homeworld Uzzel. Muad'Dib, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it too, man. So, uh, Chris, we'll give you an opportunity to uh, plug anything that you want anybody to check out. I mean, I think you dropped your... Uh, plainfiction.com Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you the the, the top 3 here. Number <laughs> 1, the debrief.org. www.thedebrief.org. Debrief. That is guys, that's how old I am. I even say w. <laughs> uh, so yes, debrief.org. Uh that is the hub. That's where the whole gang works and that's where you're going to get the most cutting edge stuff science and science fiction and where they overlap. And of course, uh, my guys on that team are constantly working on amazing UFO stuff. Agreed. And I'm telling you guys, the stuff they tell me behind the scenes, the stories I hear that they're working on, the things that are coming down the pike, it makes it the most fun place to work I've I ever worked bet, in my whole man. life. Because awesome. It's not even close. On top of that, my website is plainfiction.com. My last name, P-L-A-I-N, and the word fiction, plainfiction.com. You can find all about my books. Go to my writer's bio and see the whole fake writer's resume I made up for myself. Because <laughs> who's going to check that shit? It was the 20th century. And then, uh, if you really, really, really want to interact with me, uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at plain underscore fiction. I don't put the energy into Instagram or Facebook or any of those other things like I probably should. Uh, but you can find me almost any day on the plain underscore fiction. Well, thank you so much, Chris, man, for coming on the show. Um, we uh, two two folks from the debrief, and we've loved both of you guys. You guys are a winning just troop, man. We are just so proud to have had both you guys, but especially you, Chris. I've laughed my ass off getting to talk about nerdy stuff and comedy oh. and all that <laughs> stuff. I just thank you so much, man. No, thanks. I had a great time. You guys there, that was a, when I got to listen to you guys with Chrissy coming on and she called me and said, hey, because uh, we get offered this stuff all the time, as you know, yep. the guys at the debrief, we get called for these sort of interviews all the time. And uh, I mostly don't do them. I mostly don't do paranormal yeah. UFO stuff like that because they're right science. But Chrissy called me and she said, this is worth doing. You're going to like these guys. They're yeah. great. They have a great vibe about them and their take on the whole topic and they're big fans of the debrief. Yeah. So uh, I, I will be able to successfully report back to her 
that she was correct. <laughs> oh, I had a, awesome. a, a bang-up time. Remember, also, that's the debrief, debrief.org. Right. <laughs> well, and you know, if you all, that's if right. you all, you know, go on like Redbubble or something and make some debrief underwear, you like, you need to get yourself debriefs. <laughs> I wear some debriefs. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, and the commercial, the commercial will start Tim McMillan. He'll go, "Hey guys, it's it's Lieutenant Tim McMillan retired here. I just want to tell you, I'm wearing my debrief as we speak." <laughs> oh, fantastic. That's what he sounds like on the phone. I don't know what he sounds like on podcasts, but that's like, Chris, you're doing a great. Your articles are fantastic, man. You're just doing it wonderful. I just think the world of you and Stefan and Josh and the whole gang over at Fierce Gate, they're just fantastic. I just love it. It sounds like Bill Clinton on I'm, mushrooms. I'm, <laughs> I am. I am with Monica right now. I'm wait, what happened? I'm so confused. <laughs> All right. Again, Gentlemen, thank you, Chris. That was a hoot. We yeah. love you, man. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. You too. And thank you. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Man, what a blast, dude. I, 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 I want to keep talking, man. <laughs> well, there was there were some times that we were laughing so hard my sides hurt. So Oh yeah, for yeah. sure, man. And I like I say, I'm I always love having another comedian on and it's just a lot of fun for me. Um, but what a great just a great conversation. Um, you know, oh, yeah. it, it, it very much reminds I'm, me of us where it's like it's like there's a lot of good comedy, but when it needs to be real, it gets real. Yeah, right. You know. And and, and uh and I like that um I like that he, you know, he, he approaches everything from a very science techie mm-hmm. kind of background, but he's also very grounded in the way that, you know, you know, the fact that what we're talking, the topics that we're talking about, right, are just very kind of out there and far-fetched. So, yeah. um, I mean, it, 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 there are times even when I find myself thinking about some crazy theory that I have um, and, and really, you know, sit down and think, am I really thinking about <laughs> this crazy theory that I have? But I mean... You know, so I, we're we're like we're like theoretical ufologists yeah. instead of scientific ufologists. Right. So. It's interesting. It makes me wonder, though. It makes me think about things that we lived through, like I brought up. You know, like the Phoenix Lights and yeah. Heaven's Gates and and different things. The Phoenix or the uh, alien autopsy videos and and just things like that. And even growing up in the '80s, as well. You know, just different stuff like that. Like. How much of that has impacted us? I mean, you know, yeah. obviously quite a bit, but uh, just a really cool uh, point of view that he shared that has made me think about a lot, even from the people we talk to. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's why Lon Strickler and and Eno Paulino and stuff like that were so fascinating, and even our buddy Keith Age is, you know, their years of experience and the things that they've been through and and the yep. like. So, but yeah, make sure you guys check out all of Chris's stuff. Um, but I want to get to our final segment here, which of course is encounters from the fearscape. All right, encounters from the fearscape. This week we've got from our story, our true uh, paranormal encounter comes from a woman named Catherine. Uh, she comes from Maryland, Maryland. That's right. Uh, but check out her story. We lived in a house with at least two ghosts. The man ghost was always in mine and my boyfriend's bedroom. He would walk the same path from my side of the bed by the windows to my boyfriend's side. 
One night, I wasn't asleep yet, but I did not see him take his usual path. He was about my boyfriend's height and build with the same hair color. This time, he got in bed with me. Now, he only stayed for a second, and then he got up. And I thought it was my boyfriend. And I wondered why he got up. So I waited for a while, and then got up to see what happened. He was downstairs, my boyfriend, on the computer. And so I asked him why he got up. And he said he hadn't even been to bed yet. Well, no surprise, that freaked me out. Now, the girl ghost, she's seen all over the house. There was also what sounded like little kids running in my bedroom closet a few times. Now, my boyfriend isn't a believer, but he heard that. Now, I never felt threatened by them, but I will say it did make life pretty interesting. Well, the the uh, the getting in bed thing was that's pretty crazy. Yeah, you know, I think I, I shared one time one of my stories uh, with my ex girlfriend Lizzie. Her her parents live out in the Navajo reservation, and uh, I was there. And you know, we weren't married or anything, so her mom, of course, I had to sleep in a separate bed. And I'm in this bedroom, and it's pitch black, dark there. I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere, and um, I heard someone walking down the hallway. And I felt someone sit on the end of the bed. And I leaned forward thinking it was Lizzie. And no one was there. But I could still kind of feel the indentation. And then I felt it like lift up and walk away. And so the next morning, I'm pale as a ghost, pun intended. And they're all like, ah, so you got to meet the chief, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And apparently that's a standard thing. Many people that have stayed in the house have seen this Native American Navajo chief and he walks up and down the hallway and he'll take breaks and sit on the end of that bed. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I I definitely know this the getting in the bed and getting back up in just a few seconds. Thing. I mean, I've had I've had like what feels like ghost cats and stuff jumping on oh, the bed before. Oh but. yeah, ghost cats are I think the number one paranormal activity most people don't talk enough about <laughs> for yeah. sure. Um, but anyways, make sure you send in your story. Uh, you can email it to us, fearscapepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our social medias or any of that stuff at Fearscape Pod. You can send it there, submit a sighting, do any of those things. We love your stories. Uh, but Josh, we're going to get out of here. Just a reminder, if you're an Android user, download the Fearscape Media Network app. Uh, it's on the Google Play Store. It's so much fun. It has all the other podcasts. Uh, but uh, I think that's about it. Oh, just a reminder that uh, here shortly, I think in like a week or two, we're going to be in Louisville at the Mid-America Paracon uh, and uh, Fright Film Fan Fest. And we are going to be there the whole weekend. we got a booth set up. I'm going to be reading tarot. Uh, Lance is going to be there for Mysteries of the Dark. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so if you're in the Louisville area, please come by and say hi to us. We would absolutely love to meet some of you blanket huggers in person. Yep, it would be fantastic. And I believe you can go to midamericaparacon.com to get tickets or just hit our Facebook. It's all over yep. there. I yep. share it all the time. Uh, we are on there. And you'll get to see Keith Age. He's there. So he's actually going to get out of his house. 
I'm telling you what, he's going to be there. Uh, but anyways, let's get out of here. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Chris Plain. But thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to Fearscape Paranormal Podcast here on the Fearscape Media Network. My name is Stefan. And uh, just a reminder, folks, keep your eyes on the skies. This has been Josh. The truth is now. And remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight because things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this guidepost on the road of high strangeness with us. And we thank you, as always, for listening and joining our caravan to the weird and unknown. Please consider supporting us as we continue our journey to find the answers we all seek. Fearscapepodcast.com forward slash support.